Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as always, I'm joined by, uh, I'm not going to say Dr. Cyclops. I was going to say something, but I can't remember. Uh, Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? You okay? Uh, I'm doing all right. I, I have been uh, focusing on harnessing radiation, and I won't tell you for what devious thing I have planned. So you don't have a, a secret mine in your back garden? Uh, I may. Yeah. I reserve the right. Digging up radium. Uh, this week, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking. We or oh, last week, I should say, we jumped into right into season four with 1930s. Just imagine this episode. We're jumping forward ten years to 1940, and um, a film I'm pretty sure no one uh, will have heard of, uh, Doctor Cyclops uh, from 1940. So it's sort of I've got. All kinds of names that probably mean nothing to uh, don't mean anything to anyone. Albert Decker, Janice Logan, uh, Thomas Cooley, and um, I haven't even got who directed it. But I've got the you can probably hear I've got the copy here. I, we've watched it, so we're going to talk about Doctor Cyclops. Uh, so Julian, first and foremost, um, actually, should we give him a sort of I'm so all over the place today? Let's give him a very quick summary. Um, Sounds good. In the is, I'm not even sure what jungle it's supposed to be, but basically in, in the depths of the jungle, there is a doctor, a scientist, a sort of uh, 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 titular Dr. Cyclops, working on all kinds of different pieces of work, something secret and hidden, and he calls on uh, several other scientists to come and join him to validate some of his work. Um, they travel, they trek endlessly into the, uh, the the jungle, they get there, they literally look in a, 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 a microscope for five minutes, give their opinion and he says thank you very much and sends them on their, <laughs> send them on their way um they don't want to they don't want to leave and so they sort of stick around and find out that what he is doing is shrinking down and re- or reducing down um living animals he's doing it to a horse and to endless numbers of other animals uh, and eventually when he is realizes he is found out he shrinks down um these other visiting scientists uh, his, um, I mean, it must be South American jungle because you have, um, his helper, his South American helper, um, and then they have to survive in all the usual ways that shrunken people have to survive, uh, and eventually take on Doctor Cyclops. You say this like uh, it's lived experience, <laughs> like all the usual threats we face when we're shrunk down. Well, this felt so sort of. Um, this is the first time I've really I've watched this. I chose I chose this one. I chose it because I went through and I was like, I want something weird from the forties. Like, what was I never heard of that'll be quite cool? And I found this. But in watching it, I was like, oh, like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Land of the Giants and all these other shows. I was like, oh, okay, like this is this is you know well sort of trodden territory really. 
Um, but it's good fun, and it's actually I really enjoy, I really enjoyed a lot of this. I think some of the well, I want to talk about some of the special effects as well. Um, but it's a very sort of simple story, um, and I can't remember some of the things. I can't remember some of the names. A Peruvian says here the Peruvian jungle. Um, and so yeah. Um, but what were your thoughts on on Doctor Cyclops as a whole? Well, first of all, I think that it immediately struck me as um, very similar to those sort of 1930s films, mm. um, you know, and I was reminded of King Kong. And it's interesting mm. that this director, Ernest B. Shosdeck, uh, was the director of King Kong. He also directed The Most Dangerous Game, which I'm a fan mm-hmm. of, uh, 32. So there is especially the look and feel of it uh, reminds me of those 30s movies. Um, and I did find myself thinking about King Kong a lot. I think that, you know, those films and, and someday we'll talk about them and I, I look forward to that, um, tend to have sort of a classic structure. I mm-hmm. like their structure. They don't go on a whole lot of digressions. Mm-hmm. There isn't, you know, 30 characters, all whom, yeah. you know, we meet like a modern day King Kong, right? Um, you know, we spend 30 minutes learning about Jack Black and, you know, what drives yeah. him as a, as a person. Um, no, uh, in the 30s, you, you get in and you get out, right? Yeah. And, you know, this has that kind of structure. At the same time, it also feels very 1950s. Um, so it's yes. a sort of transition from those 30s films to the 1950s with the special effects, with, you know, the, the shrunken sort of motif. Um, so I think the structure of it is very 30s. The focus on special effects uh, is, you know, obviously King Kong is a special effect, but it's mm-hmm. a different kind of special effect. And it feels sort of 1950s. Like it's a sort of silly plot that's really there to service that, that special effect. Yeah, the whole film is sort of centered around the sort of the third act, isn't it? Really, the sort of like, um, and I, I see what you're saying about sort of the, there's a definite 30s feel to it because all the characters, are, like, say, feel of that era, um, and um, j- j- just so stereotypical, you know, and, and, and even the arc between you sort of like, so basically, sort of like you have this Dr. Cyclops, this sort of um. Uh, the titular character. That's not his real name. I've actually forgotten his name. I should re- I'm going to bring it up on uh, IMDb to remember. It. But uh, he's off in the jungle. And the, the, the Doctor character- Thorkel, Alexander Thorkel. The, the the characters that go see him, the sort of like you know the um, trope of mm-hmm. the you know you have the sort of um, what's we're looking for really, sort of like the austere sort of like you know uh, scientist. Uh, who, um, you know, uh, Dr. Uh, Bullfinch, that's right, so Dr. Bullfinch, who's like, do you, do you not know who I am, kind of sort of character. Um, Dr. H- Mary Robinson, again, who's sort of like the feisty and strong sort of female uh, character. Um, and then, is he just called Bill Stockton? But you've got the, uh, um, the other sort of laid-back sort of doctor as well, who's very much sort of like... Um, you know, I don't really want to be here, but you know, I am, I'm doing it for financial reasons. He's sort of like the rogue, you know, the character. But that roguishness never really pays off because he's not supposed no. to be, um, you know, he's not supposed to be sort of like too of a too much of a sort of a dandy or a bad character. He's, he's just meant to be a little bit, you know, oh, he's, he's got a bit of a bad reputation, but he's supposed to be generally likable. Um, 
And so, yeah, you get those sort of the tropes are there. You know, these characters have sort of been worn out, I think, through a number of different kinds of things. Even to the fact of like Dr. Bullfinch, his style, or the, what he's, you know, he has that sort of very pointy uh, goatee beard and the, the moustache and stuff like that is such a typical look that he even looks like the main. If you've watched the, if you are, if you have watched the Umbrella Academy, mm-hmm. um, and you've seen the character um, of the professor in that, like that's what he looks like. Like it's it's that look. So it's become such a sort of a typical look um, that it's not sort of you know it's, it's very much like they haven't been too. Uh, adventurous when it comes to sort of, sort of the character styles or character designs in this. So, um, but it still works. Like I enjoy, I enjoy all that. Um, also, it's in Technicolor, um, and it, it's been. Um, I think it's all graded, but the version I had was really good. Like it was a really mm-hmm. clean version. And it looked fun. It looked fantastic. Um, so I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, and I think that the special effects need to be mentioned. I mean, you you said that. I mean, not only is it in Technicolor, uh, you know, this is 1940. Remember mm-hmm. what a big deal like Wizard of Oz was. Yeah. Um, you know, this is Technicolor. It, it's a big deal here. Um, the other thing is that this is thought by many to be the first case of those shrunken effects in a movie. Mm. Um, and so, y- you know, it, it looks like they're mostly using rear projection. But, um, you know, you're talking about like all those tropes. Well, this movie kind of invented a lot yes, of them, you know, at least in cinema. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, kudos where they're due. You're right about how the characters are sort of stock characters. And, you know, I, I can't, you know, keep them straight except, um, you know, oh, that's the professor guy who, you know. Um, not to jump ahead to the ending, but at the ending, you find out that uh, Bill and Mary, you know, Bill Stockton, that guy, and, and yeah. Mary are in love. And it's the usual sort of 30s thing where nobody stops to say, golly, we lost a lot of people. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. Like, this was, was a harrowing experience. We'll yeah. have PTSD from this forever. And instead, it's like, well, I, I realized I loved you on this journey. You know, oh, Bill. You know, yeah. and it's like, who are these characters again? There's a great line. Um, I'm trying to find the character's name because there's, 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 there's um, like the minor character, isn't it? He's a minor, you know, the mine leader. Steve, is it Steve Baker? Whoever the sort of mm-hmm. he owns the sort of like the mules that they're going to ride yeah. as well. I'm like protecting my assets. I'm coming with you. And at the end of the film, he his line is basically like, "Well, we can't tell anyone about this because they'll think we're crazy." The end. <laughs> so, so, yeah. We're not going to resolve that one at all. Um, so yeah, um, I, 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 but I kind of like some of that stuff. Like like you said, it follows that sort of uh, simple structure. Um, it just wants to tell a fun story. Like you said, we're not going to get the background of Doctor Cyclops or Doctor Thorkel. You know, we're not going to get him as a him as sort of like you say flashbacks of him as a child and sort of like you know. Get, get, why he's sort of so obsessed with radium or shrinking or something like that. Like we don't need it. It's just, it's just the way he is. His parents were killed by radium, you know. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, you're not going to get that extraneous stuff. I mean, I, I do think that this movie has an odd way of not giving you, or at least not underlining, the key information that you kind of need. 
<laughs> like you not remembering that it's a Peruvian jungle, which I didn't remember either, uh, is a key thing. Like yeah. I, I kept finding myself sort of rewinding and saying like, wait a minute, why are they going there again? Because it's like one yeah. line. <laughs> and and it's because basically Thorkel, you know, has bad vision and needs them to look through a microscope. <laughs> like, you know. But that's um, never that's never actually explained to them. No, like, to to the main to the main characters, like that's never explained to them as to why they're going. They feel that they think they're being invited to become a part of his work. So when they turn up, and he's like, "Can you have a look at this?" And he actually says, "Like, yeah, my eyes—they're not what they used to be." And then they have a look at it, and I think he, you know, um, the the young guy um, Bob Stockton, he identifies uh, iron. Uh, deposits in whatever he, whatever he can see. And he's like, oh, okay, well, thank you. You've actually confirmed everything I thought. You know, you can go now. But on the, even, you know, apologies for the pun, but like that's so short-sighted to bring someone in to have a look at a telescope and then send them away. Like, well, what are you going to do tomorrow when you, you're going to need <laughs> someone to look at this again? Right. Like, it, it seems so baffling. Um, but like you say, it doesn't want to hammer certain things home. Like, it, it knows, well, it doesn't think certain bits of information are important. Um so yeah, yeah, it does sort of glide over them. But it's even major stuff like, you know, uh, Thorkel is killed, you know, yeah. after, I will say the plot really picks up after there's shrunk. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and that's maybe like half an hour in, um, you know, in, until then I'm sort of like, why am I watching this again? And then after they're shrunk, it's like, oh, this is quite fun. Look at this mm. set. Look at, look at how they're doing this. Um, however, when, uh, um, Dr. Cyclops examines, uh, you know, Bullfinch, um, and he murders him. He sort yeah. of, basically, he uh, here's a, two instances of things that are not communicated well. He says, right, this confirms my suspicions, which seems to be based on the weight, uh, mm. a- along with the, he's already gotten the height of uh, uh, about 12 inches tall of uh, Bullfinch. Um and so based on the weight, he's like, oh, yes, this confirms my suspicion. Basically, you're growing. Yeah. I mean, and it seems to be like growing organically. He doesn't say like the effect is wearing off. He says you're growing, you know, so it's like, are, are they going to become deformed, you know, as they, as they grow, uh, you know, like babies turn into humans and they're going to. I mean, and then so that's a that's not communicated well. And then he proceeds to put a chemical on a sort of cotton swab and push it. And it's done pretty well with this mm. mock-up of a giant hand and, and all of that, especially where they have the both, uh, yeah, both um, um, Dr. Cyclops in the background and the giant hand in the foreground kind of mm. coming off the side of the screen. It's done really well. And then he puts that, uh, you know, formaldehyde or, you know, whatever it is in uh, the face of Bullfinch. We're supposed to know that that's murdering Bullfinch. Bullfinch yeah. never comes back. I I thought, oh, he's knocking him out or something. You know, today that's a cliche for knocking him out. Yeah, I was convinced that they were going to find him in a cage before the end of the mm. film. I was convinced that, oh, they're going to find him in, in a box somewhere. And that's going to be sort of like, that's going to be the rescue. Yeah, but you're right, like, he never comes back. And I, by the end of the film, I was like, oh. I assume he's dead then. Like that was it. But again, like you say about the growing, is the growing thing is almost the opposite. They're almost trying to give you information because they get to the end of the film. The, the, the growing thing is to sort of allow for the end of the film. 
Um, because they they obviously they kill um you know, spoilers, they obviously kill Dr. Cyclops, and they're still small. And so it's this thing of like, but they're gonna grow. <laughs> so when they turn up at the end of the film, like you know, sort of what is it like a couple of months later or so it says and it says like two months later, almost like you know, SpongeBob SquarePants style, you know, two months later. Um like they're fully grown and they're back to normal. And I'm going to, I actually did. I was going like, did they figure out how this technology worked? No, they grew. Oh, okay. <laughs> they, yeah, it's an octopus, st- but they don't even say that they grew, right? No. I mean, you're right. That must be what happened because there's no, you never see a reversal of this ray. Um, but you just cut to two months later and they're full size. And you have to assume, oh, they grew. But grew is such a weird way of putting mm. it. Um, and we both had the problem of thinking, yeah, Bullfinch is still alive. He's like knocked out in some some area. You never see his body. Yeah. Um, even the guy who gets shotgunned, you know, two out of these yeah. five don't survive. He gets shotgunned and it's done fine. I mean, although I would point out shotguns don't blow neat little five inch diameter holes in doors. Um, yeah. But well, OK, it's done fine. But they just leave the, his body there. <laughs> You know, never talk about it again. Well, no, yeah, there's two things about that as well, which I thought was interesting. Because they show, like you said, it comes after actually, they show like a hole being blown through a door. But that's that's cinema cliche. Like I've seen that, yeah, a number of times. That's fine. So I'm 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 forgiving of the thing of the hole in the door. Because also the other thing is that obviously has to match because they do like a scale version, don't they, for them to climb through and stuff. So I understand that. What I was less sort of forgiving of, and again, this is a 1940s film, so they would never do the full gore but i'm thinking if a 12 inch person gets shot by a shotgun at relatively close range mm-hmm. like you just seem like an action it's like an action figure falls off a, a cliff mm-hmm. sort of thing i'd be like no he would have been blown backwards and in pieces like yes it would have shredded him um but that obviously like 1940 wasn't ready for that level of gore like you remade this now yeah, that, that character sort of like, you know, go to A24 or Blumhouse to make this now. <laughs> Have that person yeah. smeared across the sort of the side of the cliff. No, there, there'd be, uh, imagine sort of, you know, hostile with, um, you know, yeah. shrunken uh, people who you're experimenting on. Right, let's cut off this person's fingers one by one. They're just a mouse to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, but I do like... All that that sort of like say when he is shrunk, it's sort of all the stuff that goes on in that point. Like when, from the like you say from the point they're shrunk, it's really good fun. Like I think it's really sort of because the thing I will give this film credit for, I'll say you talk about the rear projection, the special effects, because often even beyond this point, because they they, are, they must have worked incredibly hard to have the timing down, because that's where it sort of falls short, isn't it? Like you know those points of uh, the eyesight, the line of sight, mm-hmm. you know, but also um, the timing often is is slightly out or off and sort of like, you know, people react either too late or too early because they've got the, the, the projections lined up and stuff. Um, but in this, it works incredibly well. But that point when uh, Dr. Bullfinch is caught and his big hand sort of comes in, and it's and it's its fingers close round him and stuff. And it's it's really well done. I was really impressed with that. I really enjoyed that. But again, that the, the way they've done the rear projection stuff, like the horse on the table when he's examining it and stuff, I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. But then when they are shrunk and they have the massive sets, mm-hmm. it's so cool. Like at one point, like Bullfinch is going, okay, he's he's climbing across a book to read it. 
and you've got uh, Pedro sort of like cutting up a sausage and the door sort of like I was like this that I was really impressed with I was like this is so cool this is a physical set like this is a massive physical set at one point yeah. Pedro gets off the table by running and jumping onto a deck chair like onto a chair and then jumping off I was like oh, and using this... it like a trampoline uh-huh. yeah I was like all yeah. this stuff is here they've done that I was so impressed with when they whenever that the physical uh you know, scaled sets were being used. I was really impressed. No, I agree a hundred percent. And, you know, it's right from the beginning as they're, mm. they're shrunk sort of in the basement. And he says, well, why don't you climb up the stairs? And yeah. you cut to a shot of the stairs with them climbing up and you realize, oh, wow, they built like a, you know, 50 foot tall stairs uh, yeah. mock up and have these people climbing it. Um, and of course, more stuff comes later. You know, you have the giant scissors, you have the the giant um, needle, like for a needle and thread. Uh, that's quite well done. Um, you know, but there, but there really is a like you said, there's a lot of care taken in those giant sets. And mm. and you know, yeah, there are times where the line of sight is a little off, or somebody holds a little too long. And there are sometimes where the giant set like matches, but you're cutting to it and you're not really showing the overall room. So you're like, right, those guys are hiding behind the boots. I guess that's in the corner there. But, you know, one thing that I really admire and appreciate is how, and, and this does seem to be a lost art and something that I do associate with earlier screenwriting, is how thoughtful and ingenious these characters are. Mm-hmm. They, you, you know, they want to get away on a canoe. They they rig a lever system. Um, yes. You know, I mean, you know, they're really going at it. I mean, they pile up books to escape mm. and, and move a, a door handle, um, a bar that, that bars a door closed. So there really is a lot of sort of like, these are not dumb characters. And I, I quite like that. It's not just watch them run away as somebody swats at them. Yeah, it's not it's not peril after peril after peril that they address things. And no, they they do they consider stuff. Like you said the the bit with the with the canoe, like they say, like there's a great there's a, actually a great conversation because they talk to um, Bob, as a name sort of the the Bill so Bill Stockton. They're like, you're an engineer. How would you do this? And he's obviously being a smart ass, and he's like, well, you're a scientist. What do you expect? But they do they rig up a, like a pulley system to move to move the canoe the canoe off. Uh, the beach into the water and they are doing it and so it's yeah it's it's like you say and also there are other things like when the crocodile attacks um and they scare it off using fire now the one thing i would say though and this is one of those things i, I do find funny when they have these sort of shrinking things they're like well what we need to save the wood and you're like what i mean those those twigs yeah that will that will burn through in seconds because <laughs> <laughs> then the fire is like burning like a normal fire just a mm. lot smaller and i'm like that's not that's not how fire works but i forgive that because i find everything else so well done so because i'm enjoying all the other bits like you say you you sort of forgive some of the bits although they do they, they must have and again you know for anyone for peter if you're watching like this is 1940 it was a long time ago they literally do obviously kick or push like uh, slightly burning sticks onto a crocodile's face <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. you know, yeah, couldn't do that now, but it works then, so it's fine. Yeah, I mean, you know, there there is the humor of um, as they're in the jungle, um, and you see sort of like a there's a bear 
And, you know, then there's like a, a leopard, or, you know, mm. um, it's like, right. Like there are like five enormous wild yeah. animals, you know, like I'm pretty sure there isn't, you know, uh, uh, it looks like a bear in Yellowstone or something, you know, in uh, the Peruvian jungle. Um, like how many of these animals are within a five foot radius of these people? Yeah. Um, that's ridiculous. But then you but then you have that that alligator bit that's smart. You have the canoe bit that's smart. You have, you know, um, you know, I was thinking of that Twilight Zone uh, episode that we talked about uh, that I'm such a fan of with uh, the shrunken uh, people the on the Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that same sense of sort of like, oh, this is deadly serious. Mm. Um, and and the surreality of it, but at the same time, a real sense of stakes. And I think that's got to be hard to pull off. And sometimes this movie fails, but at other times it does succeed. And a great example is the um, shrunken people rigging a shotgun. Yes. Uh, and, and they've got string and it, they've loaded the shotgun and they're coordinating to aim it at uh, Dr. Cyclops' bed. And it's like, man, this is some mischievous stuff. This, <laughs> this is devious. Like, yeah, this is like gremlin style sort of like. <laughs> yeah, no, they're like waiting for him to go to sleep and they're going to shoot him with a shotgun. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, it's it's. It, it goes some places because um, you're right. Like, you know, like when he, you talk about um, the examination of Dr. Bullfinch, uh, one of the things that we'll talk about, I think, you know, Dr. Thorkel or Dr. Cyclops as a character um, in a minute, but like that scene when it, because there's a great, when they escape, when they first escape, because they do get up those, those stairs uh, and, and the doctor sort of follows them. And all he's doing is observing like he's letting them escape. Just like, well, let's see what happens. He's like, well, I've reduced you, but like physical uh, musculature is perfect. You know, um, movement perfect, speech perfect. So like, he's he all he's doing is letting them escape so that he can observe them. And then obviously, like you, you know, like a mouse. So then he gets hold of um, Doctor Bullfinch. He just measures. He measures him with a ruler, and then he gets the uh, the pincers to measure the side of his head and all that. And like you say, it's so. It's creepy to me because it's just so um, cold. You know, there's no concern with anything. It's just like, well, look, yeah, this is a breakthrough from my point of view. So I'm actually going to use you and study you and stuff. And it is, um, you know, and if you do, if you were to fully understand that he then kills Dr. Bullfinch, and he's like, oh, I, I, you know, you could be even further and be like, Oh, time for an autopsy. You know, like, I'm mm -hmm. gonna, I'm gonna cut this thing open. Like, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't. I don't know if they could get away with it in 1940. Not show it, but like right. at least allude to it. Like, oh, you know, well, you know, Doctor Bullfinch. Unfortunately, now I have to do a full internal examination, and then he squishes his face mm -hmm. with the, the cloth. Like, but it, 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 you, I would fully accept and believe that that's what Thorkel is gonna do. Um, and it, you know, this film sort of isn't well it, it never actually fully goes there like it, you, you know you could imply that like i understand that that's like that you know it's going to have that sort of connotation so yeah i was digging all that kind of stuff in that, that those moments yeah i mean i like that too i wonder about the conflict the central conflict between them and it seems to me that bullfinch is partially to blame um he is so defiant <laughs> yes. i mean if you have been shrunk down and you're like, right, we're helpless. We're in this dude's basement. And he's like, you know, you point out that um, Dr. Cyclops is pretty 
cold. He obviously wants to observe them. He has no qualms about killing them. He's not bothered by the fact that he shrunk a legion of animals and basically fed them to his cat, you know, and watched them die. Um, and, and you're given this absurd explanation that pointing out these uh, deposits uh, have somehow let Dr. Cyclops stabilize the, the shrinking process, whatever. But I do wonder if, like, if you were those shrunken people, wouldn't you say, all right, look, obviously you have us. Um, you know, you are an amazing scientist. Um, you know, let's work together here. You know, mm. let I mean, wouldn't you want to, like, suck up to Dr. Cyclops yes. a little? And yeah. maybe once you, you know, then if you do grow back to regular size, then you can ambush him um, or not. Um, I mean, it does seem that Dr. Cyclops is he's a bad guy. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's not clear to me that he is. He clearly doesn't care if he kills them, but it's not clear to me that he shrunk them down and he doesn't know if they'll survive. But he uh, is interested in them. He keeps saying how proud he is of them, which is, you know, sort of creepy. But, you know, I guess he's kind of admiring that their brains haven't deteriorated as mm. part of this process. But, you know, I mean, it does seem like there is at least the possibility of a more amicable relationship here. And I blame yeah. Bullfinch for a lot of that. No, I agree with that, because like that scene when I said I mentioned about him reading a book and he's crawling across it, like he's already been shrunk. And he actually says he's wrong. He actually he calls it, his thought is, is wrong about this. And it's I think it's the... Uh, um, hmm. uh, Bill stocks whatever he actually says, um, I don't think so. Like, <laughs> look at us. Like, you know, yeah. He seems to be pretty right so far. Like, and so yeah, he isn't um that's what I'm saying, like that character, sort of the bullfinch, he's he's still defiant, as you say, sort of there's an arrogance. He doesn't like to have been proven wrong or to be used in this way. Like he's just indignant about the whole thing. Um and like I say, it could have been a situation, even in that basement, where they could have said, all right, well, we are where we are. Um, I don't want to be like this. How do we resolve this? All right, you know, we don't want to talk about it or whatever. Like, that, yeah, but, like, that would have been, a, I think, a less exciting film. But um, I agree that Bullfinch has definitely got something sort of like a, a you know. Because um, before he is examined, because they are in that scene, and he basically says, I'm going to talk to him. <laughs> Yeah, and just marches off, and everyone else is like, "Oh, well, all right, you know, probably not the best idea, but you're the leader, kind of." Yeah, yeah, de facto leader in this case, so we can't sort of go against you. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's uh, I agree with what you're saying, but but don't you think that sort of takes away a little from Doctor Cyclops's villainy? Um, you know that obviously he is you know a mad scientist figure. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. he's he's created this process to uh, harness the power of uranium and radium to shrink people because, you know, atomic stuff does whatever the hell you want in 1940. And mm. actually, this is one of the earliest cases of atomic mm. energy being used by mad scientists. Um, you know, so, I mean, this is 1940. This is, you know, five years before the A-bomb. Um, so. You know, I, I mean, I do think that, yes, he's a mad scientist. Yes, he's cold. Yes, he's calculating. He's clearly fine with killing a whole bunch of animals. Yeah. He would rather kill than let these people report back. He doesn't care about summoning them and, you know, for nothing. But 
I'm not sure that he's like he's not like a mustache twirling no. villain. I'm, this this is what I wanted to talk about. This is because you're right. He's just cold and um, I wouldn't say calculated. Like he's obsessed with this thing. Like this is his work. Like this thing about the the the, the radium and stuff. Um, I you know, and again, I want to get into the, how he's doing it. Like the, the the idea they have of this thing being dropped into the mine shaft. Like I kind of like I, I like that. And it's sort of the, the the thought of how it's being processed. But all this is, is this obsession with work, isn't it? This is not like my mission. This is my baby. This is my uh, life. This work. And so it's about a commitment. So he, nothing he does. All right, he shrinks them, but it's not. But he never actually like you know. I don't know. You know the villainy is almost. Um, it wasn't his intent. Like he didn't lure them out there to kill them. But, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he he has an arrogance, and he's clearly not. You know. Um, he's, I don't know, sort of, he's not all there. Like, he's, he's, his social, he even admits it. He's like, it's been two years. I'm not entirely sure about <laughs> social etiquette. Like, I've lost a little bit of that. But he's not villainous. He's sort of driven, I don't know, even driven. Like, he turns, you know, he decides he's going to kill them and stuff because they're trying to escape. And he doesn't really want that. So, but, um, I don't know. Yeah, I never see him as sort of like the villain villain until the end. He doesn't yeah. become like the villain villain until the end when sort of like, you know, he obviously his glass. There's even has a terrible, terrible line where his gla- one of his glasses gets broken and he says, Oh, now you can truly call me Dr. Cyclops because I only have one good eye. And you're just like, That's a stupid line. <laughs> well, it's, it's really stupid that he's called Dr. Cyclops. I mean, they <laughs> make this, you know, Ulysses sort of Greek reference that does not make sense, that is no. not accurate at all. And it's just there to set up that line, right? Mm, I mean, yeah, totally. You know, and that's a cool name for the villain, right? He doesn't have to be called Doctor Cyclops. No. You know. This this totally feels like someone signed off on a title, and then they mm. were like, "Make me a film," and they were like, "Uh, okay." But, um, but what's so weird is this is not the movie you'd make under no. the, you know, <laughs> no. it's like you know Doctor Thorkel's amazing shrinking ray or something would be yeah. a more appropriate. Yeah, I, it's just yeah, um, but you, you know you have um, I don't know he never feels to me like a true like you said mustache twirling villain. He's a um, sociopath, but he's not outright evil. Yeah, that that's a good yeah. He he lacks empathy and stuff. Like he doesn't care. But like the fact he doesn't care just means he literally just doesn't care. Like when they were off into the jungle at one point, he's he's almost like yeah, and then he realizes he's obviously got to tidy up loose ends and he does what he does, but. It's never like, yeah, it's not like impassioned, as in like, I'm going to kill you. It's um, And so it, it sort of felt to me, I was thinking about mad scientists, and you get that sort of, um, you know, like Dr. Dr. Victor Frankenstein and, and, you know, being a little bit. But the one it made me think of is uh, the island of Dr. Moreau. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, it felt very much like that. This sort of felt like that sort of story, sort of just coming across this thing of going like, and it, 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 that situation and Dr. Moreau being in a very similar thing of like, look at my animals, look at what I've done and not really understanding like, how horrific it is what he's done and not, you know, being almost confused. Um, and so, yeah, it felt, feels like that. And it's sort of, uh, but you're right. Does it take anything away from the film? Like, should he be more villainous? Would it, would it have been more, would the stakes have been more, you know, if it had been more a bit like, you know, now I've lured you here, I can test this on humans. You go, you know, I don't know. No, I don't need him to be more arch. 
I, I just don't know that the movie knows what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's true. Like, you know, we talked about this sort of like romantic ending, right? Like, you know, <laughs> that those characters aren't shown to be falling in love. They're no, not really, no, you no. know, Any I mean, just, no. Yeah. And, and, and they don't even say like, well, we've been through this great ordeal together. It's just like, by the way, we're in love. Yeah. Uh, okay. I guess. I mean, so, you know, along those lines, I sort of feel like it's called Dr. Cyclops, right? He's not particularly Cyclopean. I mean, he's, you know, a professor with bad eyesight, um, you know, who has done this amazing thing. He's sort of sociopathic. I mean, I don't need him to be outright evil. I don't know that that would improve the film, but it does seem as if, you know, at least based on the title and then also like, you know, he's alone, you know, mm. he, he's out there in the middle of nowhere with nobody. And, you know, he's done this amazing scientific breakthrough, but he has, you know, it, it, I mean, there's no motivation there. You know, I, I don't know what this if the movie wants us to think he's a villain or the movie is just like a funny thing happened in the Peruvian jungle. No, I think the film, they want you to think of him as a villain. I'm convinced of that. Um, but like you said, they're not entirely sure how to maintain him as a villain. And this becomes, because this this also comes to the motivations of, um, let's call them the hero group. Because you have um, this, the the mining guy, let me check his name, whatever his name is, who comes up with the... Um, Bill Stockton? Uh, or is he Steve Baker, whichever one. Uh, one of those guys, they're so sort of interchangeable, but the guy with the, with the mules, the older guy. Oh, Steve Baker, yeah. Yeah, he um, he's a miner, so he knows mining all, and he recognises there's a pit, and it's this all rare, rare ore. And so his motivation is, look at what we found in the, basically in the back garden of this, this Dr. Cyclops, Dr. Thorkel. We could make a fortune off this. And there's no recognition of going like... Well, it, I know it's sort of like in the middle of the jungle, but this is clearly like his work. <laughs> like the, the, the motivation straight away is like, oh, we can mine this and we can sell this ore. And they at one point even makes um, a comment about, you know, a couple of million split between four is, is you know, is actually pretty good. And so th- their, their thought pattern straight away is we can make a fortune. <laughs> right. Um, and so the doc comes out and says, no, 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 this isn't for selling. You know, I, I don't mine this for, to, to sell. I mine it for the energy, and, and this is how I do it. And I dip this thing in, and it absorbs the energy, blah, blah. So straight away, like, they're actually, mm. they're not clean. They're innocent in of themselves. They're, they're, they've come, and they're already going, like, oh, we can strip them of his resources. Like, there's actually another something else. We can get out of this, having been lured here. Like, we can now get something out of this. And so I, I think about, like, 40s or even like late 30s, early 40s, um, I don't know, like movie morality, like, you know, they clearly want, they they clearly see Dr. Cyclops as the villain. Mm-hmm. He, because, simply because he's a mad scientist in the jungle, like, that's enough for him to be villainous. He's doing these, these things, whatever. But like you say, he never has that motivation. His, 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 his you know, MO isn't to lure people out to test on them. Like, this isn't... Um, Right, you know that thing. He has. It's not like he's building up a cult like um, around this thing or whatever. Like I was thinking of like what's the film? Um, again, um, Marlon Brando just popped into my head. I was thinking of Island Doctor, and I thought of Marlon Brando, which then took me to uh, Apocalypse Now. 
You know, like mm. this Colonel Kurt sort of sat in the jungle, sort of going, like, you know, I can shrink things now. I'm God, kind of thing. Like, it's none of that. Like, he's not, oh, you say Arch, he's not a villain. He just wants to get on with it. He just wants to be left alone for the most part to get on with it. Well, um, he kind of wants to study them. I mean, you're you're right about how he's he's not uh, Kurt. He, that's a good point. He he could easily say, "Right, I am your god now." You know, yeah. he doesn't say anything like that. <laughs> I mean, the other thing is he lets them climb those stairs, and yeah. I can't get away from this idea that I have that sort of Bullfinch is responsible for this antagonism, because. Right away, you know, I mean, like he's facing being exposed and, you know, for what he's doing and they're very confrontational and he captures them and shrinks them down. Right. All right. So he's using them for a human experiment. Yeah. It's not good. But then he says he's very polite to them. He lets them climb the stairs and then he promptly falls asleep. Uh, yeah. And they, when they figure out a way out, he says, oh, you know, I'm so proud of you. And he could easily run into that courtyard and, and grab them and kill a couple. Instead, he yells from the window about how he's proud of them. And he doesn't have menace in his voice. Um, and then he wants to he talk to, um, uh, to Bullfinch. But he doesn't put them in a cage. I mean, he's, he's quite content to fall asleep with yeah. them. And, and when they have escaped, he's, he's happy for them. Um, he does not seem threatened by them or, or, I mean, it'd be so easy just to put them in a cage and say, mm. right, I'm going to sleep now. I, I will, I will not even dissect you, but they, you know, I'll continue my experiments when you wake up. Oh, right. This is our chance. We've got to escape. None of that dynamic is there. No, because we're, I, I, yeah, you, I mean, you're saying that one of the things is they have this, there's, there's one of the character that is used as a bit of a threat and you use for a set piece is the cat uh satanus mm -hmm. which is a great name i love that um you have this evil cat and a really sort of like cheerful dog that sort of <laughs> everything uh pedro's dog um but like yeah like you know like you said they could he could have easily put them in a bird cage or something had it sort of like you know elevating oh i'm putting you here for your own safety so satanus can't get you and then the cat just sat asleep on the floor and, you know, how do they escape? Like, all these things, like, that's what I was expecting. You know, that, that arch. Yeah, but it's not there, is it? Like, he's not a villain villain. Like, you know, so, so it's... Um, I, I want to get back to the... I want to get back to that cat, but, I mean, I, I don't even know that that would be that arch, right? <laughs> like, I mean, wouldn't it be logical if you have shrunk these people who, you know, were about to expose you or or, you know know what you're doing and, and are going to leave you know wouldn't it be logical to you know say right i'm going to keep you in the basement now you know <laughs> i mean i'm going to keep you in the bottom of the pit um in, instead he you know he just goes to sleep i mean it's as if they're his guests almost yeah yeah i don't know you're right it's bizarre because then he just sort of lets them go i, mean, I don't know maybe he thinks they're going to be either eaten by satanus or go off into the jungle and be you know eaten by something else and he just doesn't care because he's got what he needs from them. Because um, he does make a point uh, to Dr. Bullfinch at one point when he does, Dr. Bullfinch says, oh, yeah, we'll, we shall get away and do this. And he says, that's quite a, lot, that's quite a long way on, on legs as short as yours. Yes. So I, I don't think he thinks they're going to make it through the jungle. Um, I agree. No, I agree. Um, but clearly, like, he may be impressed with them about, like, things like the shotgun, right? I mean, he doesn't 
you know, mm. really react much to that except to see what they've done and grab it. But um, he's sort of impressed with their ingenuity. He seems to look down on them. Maybe that's part of his sort of egotism, his sociopathy, his narcissism. Um, I agree with you that he doesn't see them as a threat, but he just seems so oddly non-hostile <laughs> that it's hard to feel that he's all that evil. Yeah, I mean, even if they, like I say, he was to say, or, or you found out that, like, Dr. Bullfinch had been fed to Satanus, mm. like something that's mm-hmm. just sort of like, a, like some sort of like passive evilness or something. Because um, it's it sort of suggested that's what I said, like, that's what's happened to all the foremans. They find that the skeletal remains look like a four inch pig. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And he sort of he jokes about it. So it, it's one of those, if you read between the lines, like, that's probably what happened to dr bullfinch <laughs> but again i'm filling in my own sort of like you know head cannon for these things but you're right mm-hmm. he is he's so sort of like passive until he's not and then he's like well i'm gonna burn down the bleeding jungles to find you <laughs> um you know i don't know yeah he does things and that's the thing like there's a switch at one point like because he then starts to do things and I wonder if, you know, the, the, well, the, the switching point is when he finds the shotgun. Like you say he, his reaction is to grab it. But beyond that, like, that's when he starts sort of to hunt them down. Like he goes out after him, he shoots Pedro, he sets the grass on fire to smoke them out. And it's almost like that was almost a bit too, that's un, that's, you know, it's almost ungrateful. <laughs> sort of like, how dare my guests try and shoot me in my sleep? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean... It might come a little earlier than that because he, he, you know, he does seem to sort of play host. He yeah. sees that they've escaped, right? And then he examines uh, Bullfinch and, we have to assume, kills him. Um, and then he goes out and he hacks that cactus up that they're hiding in, that the cat menaces. Clearly, at that point, he's willing to kill them. Yeah. Um, you know, that hacking up the cactus, he assumes they're underneath and these hacks are going to cut them Mm. Uh, and then sees they've escaped into the jungle and is like, eh, all right, they're going to die out there. So, I mean, at that point he's already antagonistic, but then he goes hunting for them. Um, And, you know, but it is in, in fairness to, to him and to your point, it's not just the shotgun. It's the fact that they have systematically taken and hidden or destroyed all of his glasses Yes, you know, which yeah. is a neat idea, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's why he is nearsighted uh, to begin with. Um, you know, it's so that they sort of like have a chance against him, um, and that's good stuff. I mean, you know, that's a that's a nice little little. Well, it's clever it, again, but again, it's it's clever. It's that sort of thing of again, they're thinking things through. Like, oh, okay, we we mm-hmm. we found that there's a drawer full of his spare his spare glasses. Well, let's get rid of them, and then he's down to one and we can do something about that. Like it's, yeah, it's them thinking things through. Like these, it seems sort of like, you know, quite common sense approaches to things actually. Like they've actually been quite pragmatic about things. Um, so yeah, I get that. But yeah, I mean, but you know, he like, wouldn't you, I mean, you know, like I know you are never going to be an occasion to be living in the (laughs) jungles of Peru, shrinking people down (laughs) Um, having said that, I mean, if, if people are trying to kill you with a shotgun in your seat, like you're in some true crime show or something, and (laughs) they've stolen all of your glasses and, you know, they know you're basically blind without them. 
I mean, at that point, this is just war. And he even mm. says something like that. So it's not that he's not. Obviously, he kills Bullfinch before that, and he's hacking up the cactus, and he goes and hunts them and tries to burn those reeds down. Um, but then he just he just goes back. He doesn't know that he's captured them. Um, he seems to think he doesn't even seem to burn the canoe, so they they yeah. don't have an escape. He's just like, all right, well, I killed one of them with a shotgun. Um, yeah, okay, it's an antagonistic relationship, but they have escalated it. And they even say their goal is to murder him. Yes. Like, I've had it with him, let's kill him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> that would make that would have made, if that was the approach to every time someone got shrunk, that would have made uh, the motivations in Honey or Shrunk the Kids very different. Um, Alternatively, it might make that movie make a lot more sense. Yeah. yeah that'd be an interesting comparison piece to this. Um, yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, we're doing Fantastic uh, Voyage later. Yeah. So there is another shrinking this season. There is. Um, yeah, you're right. No, it's funny because, again, if you look at um, the, you know, also the advertising for this, but even the sort of, I have the, this on DVD uh, now. Um, and obviously, if you look at the trailer, like it's all about him being the menace. Like, you know, can they escape the clutches of the terrible Dr. Cyclops? And on the back of this, they describe as, but the half-blind, half-mad scientist will have none of that and uses an experimental body-altering device to reduce his former friend, former friends, to one-fifth uh-huh. of their size. They're not former friends. He does refer to them as friends at one point. But, like, almost in that sort of, they're not friends, but, you know, sort of like, well, we're here, we're, we're sort of like, we're all in the same place. We, we have a, a similar goal sort of thing. But, like, yeah, he's not this sort of, like, mad, diabolical scientist, is he? It's not. Which is funny because that's sort of what I was expecting. I was expecting the thing of sort of like luring people to sort of to test on them or take revenge on someone who wronged him previously. Sort of like you know that thing of that other cliche that they said that I was they said I was mad that this couldn't be done. I'll show them. Like that was almost what I was expecting to be like, you know, Doctor Bullfinch being a former partner or, or or mentor or something that he's now lured down to the Peruvian jungle to shrink him and then hunt him or something i don't know like no yeah that would have probably made more sense um but yeah he's not hugely combative in, in fact if anything if they'd escaped and made it i'm pretty sure he just carried on doing his do like it just <laughs> it, it, the film would have ended there yeah um, he's not, he, he doesn't even though he wants to test them he's it's not that his agenda was to have test subjects no um I mean, and, and you're right about sort of like how this film is sold. You see those movie posters and it's, you know, those, yeah, well, watch out with, it's those intellectuals, right? You know, it's, yeah. like, it's like the uh, cultural revolution, right? I mean, if you wear glasses, that means you read. That yeah. is dangerous. You're a baddie, bad, bad. Um, so, you know, those glasses staring down, menacing a woman, menacing the, the people. But you're right at how easy a fix that would be to just say, oh, there's some relationship there, you know, with with the um, the people who come to him. Right. Like he's disappeared. He's been off the radar for too long. You know, we need to I need to go find my friend, you know, mm. uh, Dr. Livingston in the, the jungle. Um, there are easy fixes for this, but it really just does not seem willing or interested in really portraying Dr. Cyclops as, as bad. No, which is, I find it odd, 
like you say, it, you know, because he co- he comes to sort of like quite a, I don't know, a, I suppose it's quite a brutal ending, really. Again, it, it's interesting how they've done it. Again, because I, th- I, I think the special effects are actually really good for the for the time. But you keep seeing he's got this pit in the back, this mining pit that he has in his back garden, and he drops this sort of device, this technology down into it, and he, he sort of says, oh, well, it sort of... Absor- I, mean, I don't know how the technology works. It's clear sort of sci-fi bunkum, but it's like, well, I don't mine the ore. I just send this thing down, and it absorbs the radiation and sort of mm. like, then uses it as a power source to do these things. And they're like, okay, that's cool. That all makes fun. So you then have this sort of like... Um, Chekhov's gun of this pit is you know is mentioned throughout and it has like a um a board that goes across it and there's a, a winch that sends this thing down all that is then utilized in the sort of the final confrontation with dr cyclops and i liked all of that like they run down and because they're little they can sort of hide in little nooks within the sort of the side of it the board gives way and it falls and then they do the winch and he falls like he falls into this pit full of radiation um, and so I'm like, oh, well, that's not only going to be painful, but like, yeah, you are irradiated now. Like your skeleton can't be touched <laughs> now for the next like thousand years. Um, but again, like I say, he gets this really sort of like say quite brutal end. Um, and again, this this part of me going back, going like, well, this could have all been avoided. Because <laughs> um, when when they do go into, because when they break into his house, because that's what they do. Don't forget, like he thinks he sent them away. And they yeah. literally break into his his domicile, sort of starts and start not just ransacking it, but they're searching through everything. They're reading uh, his notes and yeah, they're reading his notes. They're opening they're opening cupboards and drawers and looking for stuff. So when he comes in and he's annoyed, like <laughs> rightfully so, he's like, <laughs> "What are you doing in my house?" Um, and I, I think even in the in the forties, I think just because he's this lonely or sort of you know this this individual scientist and you've seen now that he's shrinking a shrank a horse and stuff um you know he's doing this in the the jungle on his own like you're just supposed to sort of like the audience is supposed to go oh yeah he's a baddie Mm -hmm. he's the baddie he's the weird one so he's a baddie um but there is part of it like say the the this this group of people just keep antagonizing him yes well right and you know once you know somebody's the bad scientist stop antagonizing stop yeah. digging right you know i know you have this white male sort of like you know well we're not going to stand for that it's a you know i mean literally uh is one of the lines uh, bullfinch says something like that to him as he's being examined like oh no i refuse you know and it's, yeah, so yeah. it's like what do you think you're gonna do you know i i mean have a little modesty i mean this guy's obviously a genius um he might be a sociopath, sociopath, but he's a genius. Yeah, I mean, it is it is very strange. Um, I, where did he get that horse? It's Pedro's. Oh, that was that was Pedro's. That's Pedro's horse, Pinto. Okay. We keep saying. But what I was more interested in is that one might. So this is this is the thing about how this sort of film they they want to keep sort of alluding to things in this film. You know, Pinto's had this. Uh, sorry, Pedro's had this horse, Pinto. It's disappeared because obviously. Um, uh, Dr. Cyclops or Thor has run through all the other animals apart from a couple of chickens that are, are around. And now you, I would say those chickens are used for some good jokes. Well, there's a couple of little moments I thought were quite cool. But yeah, he's obviously like taken this horse in um, and then shrank it down. And he's, he's, because you see him, he, he, 
he has a room with this device in that sort of, and he wears like a full protective gear. I love the fact, by the way, that they did that. That they're like, mm, well, radiation is mm-hmm. clearly dangerous, so he's going to wear this like lead line suit kind of thing. So that yeah. was kind of cool. But he does. He shrinks down this horse. Um, but then later on, when they break in, they just find two hoof prints in the dirt of the of yeah. the house. And I'm like, and then there's a great moment where he's like, well, Pinto's here. And I think it's sort of like stocks or whatever looks around and I'm, there's no horse here. Right. <laughs> it's like, no, this is a one room domicile, <laughs> and all you found is two hoof prints by the door. Like, it's so it, I, I wasn't sure if if Stockton was being sarcastic, if he was supposed to be trying to be funny, or or if it was just an odd direction given. I don't know, but yeah, I don't know either. I I do like the hoof prints, mm. um, you know, but. You know, you're raising them reminds me of another sort of odd choice that this movie has, which is, you know, why is there not more mystery? Yeah. Right? There should be a mystery of sort of what is he doing? What's happened to that horse I loved? Right. Where these footprints lead nowhere. It's a one room house where, you know, where are you going to hide this horse? There's just no sense of like, I mean, nobody says, what is he up to in this jungle? You know, like well, he had a promising career and then he disappeared. You know, I mean, there's yeah. no sense of mystery here. The the, uh, the character Mary says, she says it once. And all, but her, um, it's not like, like you say, it's not this thing of like, well, what is he doing? It's why, what is it we are not allowed to see? Right. And so, again, it comes back to them. Like they're so self-centered. It's not like <laughs> what work is he doing? Like, you know, like you say, like there's nothing about what this guy is before. Um it, it's just like, well, why can't we see it? I'm important. Why can't I see it? Because <laughs> even at the very beginning of the film, when Dr. Uh, Ball Finch is sent out there, like and again, I don't know like what the relationship is for this thing. Like some other person in an office just says, You're going. Um <laughs> And he's like, well, I don't know. And he says, yes, you are. Okay. That's sort of it. Um, but the other, this other professor or whatever that sends Bullfinch, they have a very brief conversation where I think Bullfinch is sort of like has heard of Dr. Thorkel by reputation mm-hmm. and says, oh, he has like wild theories. But this other professor's like, well, I worked with him for a year. And basically sort of says, like, you know, so I know what he's like. And so, but, but there's no warning of going like, oh, no, he's clearly like potty. Like he's clearly like off his rocker. They just send him out to the Peruvian jungle. So, um, yeah, like you say, there's nothing there to say like, oh, yes, he was one of the greatest minds of, you know, that this institution ever had and blah, 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 blah. The usual stuff you'd hear. It's more, it's just a get on your way and do as you're told. That's how that scene sort of plays out. Yeah, the setup for this movie is very strange. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you're pointing out like it's not totally clear why they're going uh yeah. to the jungle in the first place you know why you specific like it, they, at one point they say oh they can't bring steve baker who wants to come um because he says you know like dr cyclops demanded only four of us come or something mm. like that when did that happen are you yeah. in the business of i mean what is their relationship that they want to honor that request and it does seem to me that this comes back to the sort of transition from 30s to 50s sci-fi that in the 50s it's like yeah okay you know they're giant ants right we need them (laughs) you know you don't need much explanation the giant ants are the thing in the 30s 
you don't need much explanation. The 30s don't do that 30 minute, you know, thing that we do with like today. This would be start with Dr. Bullfinch, you know, for 30 minutes, you know, and we find out his relationship to his daughter and, you know, mm. who's going to say, Daddy, don't go into the jungle. Oh, you Mary, know, something Mary, Mary would now be his daughter. Yes. Good point. I mean, you know, we just have this endless stupid, stupid, stupid stuff. And I would just say, like, right, give me a stock character and get on with it. Yeah. Um, so the 30s kind of give you that stock character. But usually they have that sense of mystery. They have that sense of, like, unveiling, of kind of peeling the onion and getting to, you know. Like, it should be a big deal when you see, you know, Dr. Thorkel for the first time. Like, mm. right, you know, it doesn't need to be... Um, you know, you brought up uh, Apocalypse Now and sort of I'm thinking of Heart of Darkness. Like, mm. it doesn't have to be that level of like we've gone through 200 pages before we meet this guy. But it does have to be a sense of, all right, there's a mystery to this. It means something what we're doing. And we want the audience to much like King Kong, right? Like this is a journey you're going on. And so mm. when you see Kong, you know that's coming. But when you see it, it's a big deal and you've built it up well. This movie is not interested in doing any of that. No. And so it does seem to be a kind of transitional film for me. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, you, you, there, there are things firing off my head about, and I, I, might, I might do it in a little minute, of the fixing. But you say about <laughs> the, the, the transition, and that's true. Because like, I can imagine that the discussion for this film, when they're in the setup, is all around the shrinking. Mm-hmm. What are those sets going to look like? How are those special that rear projection special effects work? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? What what have we got to build? Okay, we've got to build a giant canoe. Okay, we've got to build a giant table or a tight giant stair set. You know, set of stairs. All that I can imagine being the focus because that sort of like last that third act where they've been shrunk and everything is the focus. That's what they're looking to do. And so everything up to that point, because that's the point, isn't it? What the pitch of this is. Shrunken people being chased by mad scientists. Mm-hmm. That's the pitch. Because that's what the flaming advertisements told me on. <laughs> um, and so the, that 30 minutes that we've talked about, where you'd get to know the characters and you'd have that relationship build and all that sort of thing. And saying about that sort of father-daughter, that comes in the 50s. You know, that, mm-hmm. that was in one of the films we watched, was this idea of the sort of father-daughter. I think it was, was that sort of um, when, when Worlds Collide, I think, was mm. the mm-hmm. father-daughter relationship. Who so, do we save? Right when the earth exactly, right. yeah. Um, so some of that stuff's coming, but like the, the the focus of this film is clearly like all that first act, that first bit is sort of like, okay, we don't really, we're not, we just want to get to this the shrunking, and then we want to do the bit. That's all this is about. That this is about the spectacle. It's going back to like just imagine last week, as you said, the budget's in about what you're viewing. If this film's about what they wanted to show, and this is one of those early. Um, um, films of doing these kind of special effects and stuff this is like that early version of 3d isn't it like yeah the story is sort of like second tier to how many times can we poke things out of the screen for things to be like oh dodge that ball dodge that finger whatever it's going to be it feels a little bit like that but it's only so many sort of easy fixes for this film like you know and a lot of it is cliched make it so that mary is either a student of bullfinch and they have a relationship of sort of like you know where she, he can sacrifice himself to protect her or something the the steve um what's his name bill stockton that sort of more um you know, that, the type. 
Yeah, exactly. The Han Solo yeah. type. He then sort of is the action monster. He's the one that sort of like he, he sort of he does wield the extra large scissors, but like mm-hmm. he you know he needs to be doing the action stuff later on. You know, he becomes the sort of the rough and ready one that sort of ends up fighting an ant or something. You know, there or a rat or something like he's the one that does that. And then you'd have like pa- Pedro would unfortunately be the sort of you know they'd probably have some sort of comedy sidekick. You know. Um, that would come in and sort of be, you know, do you think there'd be that sort of like, but then, but then his death would be really heartfelt and sort of uh, that sort of thing. But you would have that relationship. That setup would be either um, uh, Doctor Bo- uh, Doctor Thorkel has asked for someone to go down. This would either be the first mission or the second mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, right. a, this is either the first mission. Doctor Thorkel has asked for this, but we know he's. We haven't heard from him for two years, and we're not. We're not comfortable, so we're sending Bill Stockton with you as a sort of a guide, yeah. and a protector, an early Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford kind of type, or a former group's gone down, and we haven't heard from them. That's better, right? Because it also implies that I hate how. You know, whoever you're watching always is the ones who survive and get lucky, you know, mm-hmm. as like, you know, uh, you know, no one has survived this before. Right. Until your protagonist, because they're protagonists. So, I mean, I do like the idea that now he's lured people for these human experiments before and maybe they find the bodies. Well, that's what I'd want to see. You know, they find a four inch pig and then someone else going, but this looks like a femur. Like, you know, yeah. and you go, that's not in a pig. And you go, oh, that actually looks like a human femur. Like, that's really weird. Like, adding to that mystery, like, mm-hmm. how do we explain these sort of like, because talk about Bullfinch as well and his arrogance. He literally yeah. finds three bones <laughs> and goes, this is a new species. I'm going to name it after me. <laughs> yes. And I, and I love the bones thing. I mm-hmm. love the sort of discussion of, oh, there's a miniature pig. You know, I mean, it's it's a little absurd in, in the Peruvian jungle, but that is that kind of like island evolution sort yeah, of, yeah. you know, taken to a weird, a weird degree if it's really, you know, three inches long or something. But mm. OK. Um, but you, you're right. Yeah. I mean, that is that does characterize Bullfinch completely. You know, I mean, he's yeah. stupid, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he's he's. You know, and I'll, I'll phrase this carefully. He's the um, he's the pretentious academic, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Doing that sort of thing, like he hasn't the been ivory outside. tower. Yes, that sort of thing I'm looking for. Like he's never been outside of academia. Like he thinks he's smarter than everyone, and now he's going to be faced with a situation he doesn't know how to handle. And that's where you get that sort of like the Bill Stockton sort of character who's like, ah, oh, but I can hack away at the jungle and swing from ropes and all that kind of stuff like you know you don't want you don't want the sort of fatherly professor type i kind of like the bullfinch character you need him to be that character to sort of like to create the situations but yeah i think that sort of um there just needs to be a a, a better kickoff to why to why these things are taking place yeah i agree and i i like all of those fixes you know i mean for me it's that sense of selling it and selling that mystery right you know and and i think some of those fixes would go a long way um in terms of you know this was a great scientist he's gone missing you know uh we've heard rumors we sent people before they have never come back um you know so there's more of a mystery I mean, mm-hmm. you, you know, we should see them going through the jungle, you know, for all of the money, you know, getting there should be a difficult task. Um, 
I'm also a little disappointed in sort of how small the set is. It's weird, so to speak. It's weird <laughs> that they spend so much money. And clearly, I mean, this is not a big budget movie, but they mm. spent so much money on those oversized sets. Mm. And we both agree they're done fantastically. You know, it's great fun. Uh, they match really well. But, you know, but why does the um, Dr. Cyclops, why does he live in a one-room place with a pit, an open-air pit with his, you know, <laughs> device hanging from it? And basically that one-room house has a stairway down to the pit. That's it, and that's all. That's all the set mm. you have. And there's a little bit of a fence, I guess, to keep the copious, wild, murderous <laughs> animals that are surrounding this yeah. house out. This, this two-foot wooden fence has been very good at keeping <laughs> bears out, apparently. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, I know what you mean. Came in tigers. Are yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, got better things to do today. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, and it's clearly that there's a budget restraint on this. Um and it wouldn't even surprise me if some of this is reconditioned sets from other films. You know, obviously they, they do that kind of thing. But I, I think, you know, the thing about it being this one room thing, it's, it's so that there's not, it's not about the opulence. It's not about having some major thing. Because it is his house, his laboratory or whatever. This is more, again, that thing about how um, like obsessed he is with this thing. Like he, he's nothing more than his work. And so he doesn't want anything more than this. But you're right, like they, they, you know, they could sort of expand on this set and do more. But I think that's not a bad characteristic to be obsessed no. with your work. I mean, and, and think about how what you just said contrasts to what you pointed out about Bullfinch being totally egotistical, mm. right? You know, this mm. opulence and, you know, um, you know, Steve uh, Baker, you know, demanding, I mean, that they've discovered a rich mine. He wants to become rich. I mean, in a weird way, Dr. Cyclops seems better than that. He yeah. just cares yeah. about this work. He's a sociopath, but he's really focused on his work. He yeah, doesn't want he has, money or a palace. Yeah. And he has her, you know, he has shrunk animals and stuff and whatever. But like, I don't think they don't, they don't, they don't ever seem hurt. Like the, the horse doesn't seem in pain at any point. It's only when the humans arrive that things start to go pear shaped or go a bit wrong. So yeah, this is why that they if they wanted to make this the sort of the fear of the you know Doctor Cy the diabolical Doctor Cyclops, then make him diabolical. <laughs> like, you know, he just isn't at this point. Uh, you know, like you say, it's the introduction of these characters. And you're right. I think you're right. You've talked me around. Bullfinch is the real problem here. <laughs> um, yes, he's the villain. Yeah, but because it should be because the other thing is as well, what's his reasoning for doing this? Like, he wants to you know reduce or shrink things down using radium and, and, and whatever but there's never a point at which he says that what what betterment this will provide for humanity you know when we're so used now to this thing of i'm obsessed with my work but this can provide this for humanity like we can save you know whatever i can st i can stop um you know we can stop you know uh, hunger we can stop world hunger i can i can solve world hunger i can do this i can do that uh, but this part of me going like, I, I, what is the other than to just do it? What's his motivation for doing this? Is it some sort of humanitarian thing, or is it just whatever? Um, and again, that's never addressed. It just, he's just doing it because he can or he wants to. Um, now, there's a weird line on the Wikipedia page for this film mm. uh, that begins the plot summary: A scientist attempts to shrink all of humanity to reduce our impact on the environment. 
Not in what I saw. I no. mean, that would be fascinating, right? It's yeah. an ecological motivation. Ra's al Ghul, yeah. you know, but no, that's not the case here. It's not no. clear why he's doing this. <laughs> no. Um, it, it, there was a film a couple of years ago where uh, Matt Damon gets shrunk down to, to live in a small, small house more society. Do you, do you remember? I, don't, I never saw it. Very vaguely. Yeah, I'm wondering if this is actually a prequel to that film. <laughs> So Dr. Cyclops, Dr. Thorkel actually perfected the technology that was then used in the Matt Damon film. Um, no, I don't know yet. Yeah, that, that line is, they may have put it into their Wikipedia. I'm pretty sure it's not in the film. Yeah, I agree. It's not in what I saw. Um, no. But there's so much of this film that just sort of is not really trying to explain itself. Um, that I'm not sure if there isn't some line that I sort of missed. I mean, I, I was busy well, figuring out if Bullfinch had survived. Can I just read to the back? I, I want to read the back of the DVD then, right? So this is, it's called, this by Fabulous. So it's, it's, it's a, you know, fabulous DVD case. But it says it's set in the Peruvian jungle, this 1940 landmark science fiction adventure. Okay. Directed by pioneering filmmaker Ernst Shodak follows four explorers as they search for legendary psychiatrist uh, physicist dr cyclops it's not his real name when they discover them legendary also no never mind uh, is this he a next... physicist i guess i mean he's this using is... radium right but yeah. i mean his background is not we don't know what he has a phd in <laughs> he could have a phd in english <laughs> yeah, yeah um when they discover their missing colleague, they find his brilliant mind has been warped by radiation and decide to return him to civilization for psychiatric help. No! None of that happens in this film. <laughs> and, and that's describing another film that's better, yes. right? You know, that has motivation. Like, Doctor, you know, you, you're a brilliant mind, but you've been warped by your work. You need help. We're taking you back. No, I refuse. Yeah. No, there is one confrontation where they steal his notes off him to look at them, <laughs> and that's it. And even then, they don't talk about the, 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 the conversation. It's not about taking him back; it's about the ore. It's about yeah. it's about the mining ore. So what there should be is uh, four people are sent down to uh, a Peruvian jungle and come across Doctor Thorkel and to start decide to set up a mining corporation <laughs> and steal his land. <laughs> yeah, not to mention that if Bullfinch. Like, I could imagine Bullfinch finding out about all these shrunken animals and saying, you know, <laughs> Dr. Thorkel, we could, we could make a deal here. You shrink out many, many species, and I will claim that I have discovered them and named them after myself. Yes. That would seem to be right up. Now, I don't believe your device works, but yeah. I'm quite content to name these species. You <laughs> to steal your work. What a motivation. The thing is, again, like, you know, let, let's, I mean, I want to sort of like just very, as we sort of, we're getting close in, I want to sort of tap into, because this does come to this, the reason behind this, motivations and things. This thing is the mad scientist, the mad professor. We talk about Dr., you know, uh, the island of Dr. Moreau mm -hmm. as being one of the touchstones for me uh, when watching this film. Um, and I love that book. I've read it for years, but I've, loved, I've read that several times as a kid. Um, but, the other one that jumped to mind about this when you just said about that and the animals and stuff is like it's like John Hammond and Jurassic Park. Mm, yeah, I thought about that too. You know that thing of just sort of like you know and um, uh, there's the obviously the Ian Malcolm line which gets bandied around all the time now. Like, you know you were so concerned about whether you could you didn't decide whether you should. 
And again, like that that can even be a motivation in this. Like this is dangerous work. Like you know what you are doing is dangerous. You know, just because you can do this doesn't mean you should do this. Like there's real radiation problems or what. Like, but the, the the really like I say the one the big problem underlying this film is the fact that like Doctor Thorkel, Doctor Cyclops, as you said, just isn't a isn't a threat <laughs> for the first part of the film. Like going to find him isn't. There is no motivation or justification for it. Like he needs to be more of um his reveal. Again, like if you were to if I do this, if I was to re, if this was remade now, Dr. Thorke or Dr. Cyclops would be played by some sort of big name, you know, yeah. a, a, you know, senior actor that would have sort of gravitas. And he wouldn't appear until the end of the first act. And mm-hmm. It would, like you say, it would be like a major reveal of him, sort of like some sliding door. I can think of like, you know, like um, Blofeld kind of sort of reveal, mm-hmm. like a sliding door opening him going, ah, you've made it through. You've met my colleagues. or You know, that sort of like he would have that, that mystery and that sinisterness would be there. But this film's so not focused on that. It's simply focused on having the the miniaturization so they can do the set pieces. That's what this film is. Um and again, this sort of comes back to what we were saying yes, uh, last episode about um, just imagine when we said like the plot barely makes sense in places, but the set pieces are brilliant. Yeah. And so this feels the same thing. We're like the plot barely makes sense, and I'm not saying that future films are, are, are any better because we're, we're going to cover Transformers yeah. by Michael Bay later on, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to have the same statement again. Like, the plot barely makes sense, but the set pieces are ace. Um, yeah, and I, I feel that this is the same. This is entertainment. This is almost like that blockbuster kind of thing, isn't it? Like, look at what we can do with the special effects. Isn't it cool? Yeah, I mean, I do think that you know, like Transformers has more fleshed out characters. You know, they're not all convincing, but like mm-hmm. you know, and and it does sell like the mystery and stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, and and I think that like just imagine has a kind of like charm to it. Like you know, there are the characters are a little more fleshed out um, that I that I don't find here. But having said that, like you know, I mean, this is enjoyable. This is a cool movie. Um, I I do find myself thinking like this is 1940. Mm-hmm. I I love that he's doing you know radiation experiments. You know, it's a little like gamma rays causing the incredible hole. Like, you know, yeah. not sure this is how that works. But um, but let's keep in mind that in 1940, it was absolutely OK to do this stuff to animals. Yes. Um, you know, I mean, look, we 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 sent uh, animals into outer space. You know, nobody was worried about retrieving them um, <laughs> when they burned up in reentry. Um, mm mm-hmm. Nobody was going to euthanize them instead of they burn up a lot, right? I mean, and that was the 60s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is 1940. Is what he's doing really that bad? I mean, he doesn't really do anything bad by social standards until he really goes after these people. Um, but, you know, I guess it, it's not a cool even then to shrink people against their will. But he doesn't really try to kill them. They would have just grown out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He literally says, "Yeah, we know," and we see that. Like the end of the film, they turn up normal, and you know, in love. It must have been the two months interceding and where they grew up that mm. uh, the two characters fell in love. But yeah, there's no sort of like side effects or sort of like after effects of this. So they could have just stuck around and left, and it would have proven him right. I don't know. 
yeah, it feels motivationless in so many ways. Um, and you've convinced me as well that actually, like, Dr. Paul Fitch is a problem and, and really <laughs> caused all the problems. And they further antagonise him by p- preparing to shoot him in the face once he's asleep. <laughs> yeah, that usually doesn't help a relationship. I've tried. Yeah. <laughs> it does not keep a relationship together, you know. Some people have kids. I prefer yeah. shotgun threats. <laughs> I'm joking. That's terrible. Don't do that. Blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, maybe it's for this. They said they, they call it shotgun wedding. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, we're, we're coming to the end. So let's let's talk about final thoughts then for um, Doctor Cyclops, 1940s Doctor Cyclops. Julian, what are your final thoughts for Doctor Cyclops? I, I do think it, it's a flawed movie. I do think you know you've pointed out you know ways to improve it. I do think it's a lot of fun, especially mm-hmm. once they get shrunk. It's a mess until then. I found myself pausing multiple times and saying, like, <laughs> what's going on again? Did I, you know, and it's like, all right, there's one line of dialogue. I even did go back to Bullfinch's death and think, you know, did I miss something? So I, I <laughs> did keep rewinding to, to solve problems. But having said that, once they're shrunk, it is sort of a tour de force of, you know, imagination, set mm-hmm. design, um, not everything makes perfect sense, but, you know, I mean, for a 1940, you know, sort of film, having all of that, those sets and imagination, it's really having fun. And then it doesn't know what to do with it, you know, uh, yeah. in, in the end. Right. Race still arrived. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, very much the same. I mean, the, the one thing I will say is that this is a 74 minute film. You know, it's not long. Like you said, he gets in, he gets out, and you you know we talk about sort of like you talk about like Peter Jackson's King Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, King Kong itself is fifteen minutes longer than this film, yeah. And so, in that fifteen minutes, could have done a lot of um, good in a film like this. So yeah, it, it, the opening and the justifications are, are, are baffling um, and, and a bit of a mess. Um, the ending is weird. Like it just sort of stops where they're just like, well, we're not going to talk about that again. And then that's it. Um, but that section of once they are shrank and once they, the, the, once they are revealed to have been shrank uh, in the basement and stuff uh, from that point on and to the, to the sort of finale, it is really good fun. Um, there's, there's some amazing sets, even, even I, I have to say, even, um, before that, like when they're traveling and they go to Peru, and there's a great sort of like where they meet the guy with the, for the mules, and there's all the, the sort of the matte painting backgrounds and all that sort of stuff. I loved all of that. So I loved how the, this film looked. But just the set piece they're doing, like the, 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 that one in particular, where they have it laid out, and there's the giant book, and you've got Pedro on top of the table, and they're doing this, is mm-hmm. so well orchestrated that it, it looks so good that it doesn't look like a giant set. It literally looks like, because the way they've done perspective, it literally looks like, I was going to, they've done back projection here. Like, how is this done? Oh no, this just must be a massive table that Pedro is stood on. Like it's really well done. So I was really impressed with all that. I really enjoyed all that. Um, I think, yeah, when they go into the jungle and they fight, they sort of have a, a confrontation with an alligator and they've got confrontation with Satanus and all this like it's it's all good fun. It's all very good fun. Very sort of precursor to Honey I Shrunk the Kids and Fantastic Voyage. It's just that we're gonna cover some great stuff in there. But unfortunately, it just barely makes any sense. 
And so it's sort of like you go, yeah, all right. As I said, we've sort of debated the point this film. I'm gl- I'm so glad there were bits that you didn't get because I watched this film and I was sat downstairs watching this and I got to the end and I, there was a part where I was like, oh, did I fall asleep at one point? Did I not realise? <laughs> <laughs> I literally thought like, did my eyes close? And I just didn't realise I'd fallen asleep for a couple of minutes because there's several things that don't make any sense. And the Dr. Uh, Bullfinch one was the main one where I was like, have I missed an entire scene that explains that he's dead? So, yeah, there are bits then that they're just not interested in um, <clears throat> from a story standpoint. And it shows. But again, if this is coming from the person that made King Kong, it makes total sense when you see the scene when Bullfinch is being examined and that giant hand comes in and the, the mm. fingers close round him and he's picked up. And, yeah. You know that that kind of level of special effects would look good, would would look good and look fine. Twenty years after this film was made, if this if they did that and it came out in 1960, I'd be wow, that looks pretty good. So it really was pushing the bounds of what was possible in 1940. 1940 so fair play to us, so well done for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, what do you, as a final note, what happens to Satanus and to the dog? I'm assuming they get left in the Peruvian jungle and eaten by a bear. That's the best I can guess. Well, you know, Satanus is kind of like chased out out of the fence and I guess, you know, is eaten by a wild animal or something. But the dog isn't there at the ending. I do like the stuff with sort of like he recognizes me, you know. Yes. Um, That's kind of cool. But, you know, where is he at the ending? I was hoping, yeah, they should have him on a lead. They should have taken the dog with them, really. But there's a two-month period where they're obviously mm. at the at Dr. Satanus's uh, location and they're growing back into their original sizes of, like, God knows what happened in that two-month period. Um, it would have been so easy. I think a montage, you know, would have been so great there, just of them at different sizes, you know, yeah. and you're doing rear projection, you know, like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um just give us, you know, and then you show them falling in love just in, you know, montages. They they ate that dog, didn't they? That's that's pretty much, that, that sort of jumped <laughs> to my head as well. They were like, at some point, they were like, you know, shrinking things is pointless. Growing things is better. But, well, it's a lot of meat when you're 12 inches tall. That's very true. That lasted a long time. Possibly two months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have to say as well, there's one thing before we sort of finish is the fi- the science of this. I always find I always struggle with this, and I've I've always struggled with this, even when I was younger. This idea of of, of shrinking and growing something yeah. clearly makes no sense because matter is matter, and it was it wasn't until I think I remember reading something again it must have been in my teens of like I was it was all these things you're seeing it was like it's not possible because you can't increase there there are two scenarios you either introduce more atoms or mm-hmm. remove atoms to reduce the size or you condense them and so what you know in which case or you increase the distance between them right um to make things or bigger decrease. yeah exactly you either yeah, increase right. or decrease so the density will always remain the same and therefore if you shrink down it becomes you become so so dense that your body collapses in on itself. Right. Or if you were to grow, you become so unstable that you would fall apart. So Mm -hmm. it's always been one of those sort of science fiction tropes that's really bothered me because I'm just like, yeah, that's that's just... 
and I know there's other things I'm like, you know, that won't work. But for some reason, shrinking and growing just really has been one of my pet peeves of sort of like, it looks good. And I like the tropes in cinema, but like as a science fiction thing, I'm like, oh, let's, you know, it doesn't work. I've had, the same, I've had the same thought since I was a kid. And I, and I yeah. always focused on like, you know, molecules and, you know, it's like, all right, well, you know, how does, doesn't the strong force play a hand here? You know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but then there are other things like, I mean, it's just weird that, mm. you know, most most of us, most of the universe is space, right? Atoms mm-hmm. are mostly the space between atoms and even between electrons and the nucleus. Um, you know, the space between atoms is vast, is enormous. Yeah, uh, on the, on the, on the, yeah when you look at that, sort of, when you're down to that sort of subatomical, that, that, that sort of molecular level, yeah. And, and so, I mean, there's room to compress them, but I, that doesn't work physically. And then, you know, like, I mean, it's weird in real life. Like, how how does a knife composed of atoms that's mostly space then cut through a piece of paper that's composed of atoms that's empty space? I don't pretend to understand that. Yeah. But I know that the science behind shrinking people is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what, it's just, yeah, the physics, I don't, like you say, I don't understand the physics of it. I'm sure there's some very complicated sort of like equations that explain sort of how density of, of you know, different things work and stuff and why um, metal is metal and wood is wood and, and paper, you know, so on and so forth. <clears throat> but still, like you say, shrinking people is bullshit and it bothers me. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we shall, we shall end on that note. Uh, so, yes, uh, we are jumping forward again. Um, these two have been new um entries but this is the next one is our first sequel um we are bringing back an old friend um and it's gonna be godzilla rides again um from 19 raids again again, sorry from 1955 was it 56 um but we've done the 30s we've done the 40s now we're doing a couple of films in the 50s um and i actually believe see we've got um so the next two films we've got the first sequel uh, our first sequel entry and our first, well, pre-make? pre-make? It's not a remake, it's a pre-make, <laughs> I suppose. It's the original. We obviously did The Fly, and we're going to be doing The Fly again, sort of, uh, which is 1959, 58. So we've got a couple of 50s films coming up, which is fantastic. So doing another another decade now. We're doing for into the next decade, which is great. Great gathering steam. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed our talk about Dr. Cyclops. Uh, please go and try and check it out. It's, it is worth seeing. It's a fun film. Um, it's about I picked up on DVD for like three pounds, um, and it's available. It must be available at other places. You can I'm sure you can find it. Um, but if you like what we are doing, um, you will notice now that there are things coming out. Um, you will hear the trekking through the Twilight Zone is being released now. We're going back to the first season, the first ever episode, and it'll be released between these episodes, so you can get the main feed and reviews, and you're then going to get these little shorts every other week as well but if you want to get ahead and you want to go and find out more all the way up to sort of season two of um the twilight zone and beyond because they're being released weekly on the patreon go check out our patreon um and also on there is creator corner 30 minute thoughts all this podcasting stuff loads of great content to so go and check out link down below uh but for now julian thank you very much for talking Dr. Cyclops with me. Great fun. Always my pleasure. And yeah. 
And the next episode, we will be taking on uh, Godzilla raids again. So from the small to the big. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Something. For some reason, I'm willing to accept an irradiated uh, monster <laughs> lizard the size <laughs> of a skyscraper. Yeah. That's just that's just proper science. That's right. Yeah, that's backed up by science. But like, yeah, shrinking <laughs> people's bullshit. <laughs> but anyway, for now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm the same way. No, I can deal with Godzilla. Lightsabers don't make sense. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we are doing Empire Strikes Back. When we get there, we'll have that discussion as well. Uh, So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much, and we shall see you on the next episode. There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams.